I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Stony Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 30, Marianne and the Great Romance. Is it really a great romance? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think they mentioned it as a great romance anywhere in the book. <laughs> I know. I was yeah. going to say, especially after some of my comments on this book, um, reflecting on this title now it seems like very sarcastic but we'll we'll see (laughs) (laughs) and the great romance yeah yeah so should we get into our one sentence summaries yes Um, okay so mine is don's mom finally gets tired of the trip man and settles down with mr spear nice Nice. mine is Marion totally thinks sharon schaefer is a sleazy old whatever Mine is Richard and Sharon get married and Marianne fails to see a very obvious metaphor for her own life transitions presented by the Arnold twins. Nice. (laughs) Wait, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Annie Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, please check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC-related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. Did you roll your eyes as you were I know. saying that, Emily? <laughs> Not, no, I was just like, ugh. <laughs> hey, guys. What are you guys doing March 11th? Nothing. No plans. Okay, well, can I invite you guys to something? Yes, please. Please. Okay. Well, on March 11th at 7 p.m., there's uh, going to be something called the History Happy Hour that makes history accessible, relevant, and fun. Let me tell you a little bit more about it. The founder is Maya Rook, a historian and educator who takes a deep dive into a new topic every month. And on March 11th, she's going to explore 1980s and 90s nostalgia of the portrayal of babysitters in popular culture with media such as the Babysitter's Club books. Adventures in Babysitting, and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dad. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I love that movie. Classic texts. (laughs) And since it's Women's History Month, she'll also discuss the historic role of the babysitter and what it tells us about the entrepreneurship of young women. This has all three of us written all over us. So the event takes place on Zoom. So if you listeners are interested, you can go to historyhappyhours.com and register for History Happy Hour Adventures in Babysitting. And don't forget, since you guys are listeners, you can get 20% off with the promo code Pizza Toast. Fantastic. What a great discount code. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it is a fantastic discount code. Yeah, I'm going to go. I think you're. it's at 7 p.m. Eastern. Is that when you teach, Emily? Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Well, Emily won't be there, but I'm going to be there, and I'm going to try to drag Anne, too. I'm excited. Excellent. So... Who wants to start today? Emily, you want to go first? you have some things to say about Sharon? You have some, you have some uh, nuggets? Yeah, I got some chicken McEmily nuggets or whatever the fuck we called them. <laughs> yeah, I, I was... The reason I uh, was remarking on how sort of in retrospect this, the how sarcastic the title sounds was in part because I think Marianne doesn't really seem to like Sharon that much in this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I realize she has a lot of attachment to... Um, sort of routine and her life has been kind of small in this one particular way and this Mm -hmm. is like a really big change for her but there are there were some moments of sort of judgment that I thought were like kind of interesting and I wondered whether there's not a kind of specificity to them because Sharon is a woman who's in some ways not doing some things that she's supposed to do like according to some sort of traditional norms if that makes sense so like Mm. in the beginning there's a kind of like I mean, we start off with uh, there's a high heel in the freezer or something totally absurd, which I'm like, I, even a scatterbrained person's not putting their high heel in the vegetable drawer of the fridge or whatever. Like that, come on, Marianne. Um, and then there's like... <laughs> what? 
I was just like, it's, you know, I think, I don't think, I do, mean, are you implying Marianne's lying or do you mean, come on, Anna Martin? <laughs> like, okay. Come on, Anna Martin. Fine. But also, yeah. isn't <laughs> well, Anna Martin Marianne? <laughs> right. Yeah. Can we talk about how maybe a high heel would end up in the refrigerator? So how, like, have, I don't like, know high how. high heels on. Uh huh. Then you walk to the refrigerator and maybe you're taking out uh, some vegetables, some carrots some celery on the counter and then yeah i don't know you did you put your shoe in the fridge yeah and then you take your shoe off and put it in the fridge yeah no (laughs) i did once find a cell phone in our fridge after a party in college but that made more sense to me (laughs) it's in your hand all the time you're grabbing a beer and grab a beer yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) but like you would not do that with a high heel I guess it depends on how drunk you are, but the implication here is not that Sharon's like a functional alcoholic, but that she's she's just doing this sober. Yeah. I could see a drunk person putting a pump in the fridge, though. That's not too far-fetched. What if her shoe looked like a vegetable? Um, Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Okay. And so then there's like this on page four. Right at the beginning, there's this whole conversation around how Sharon was like dating again. She loves dating. She's not trying to rush. She was going out with this awful dude. And then she went out with some other men. And then there's this kind of like parenthetical. And there's a lot of weird like uses of parentheticals to sort of explain some of Sharon's behavior. So this one is like, that's because she got a job mixing her up with all their single friends. But it's like, okay, I don't know. The need to explain that like she's not just this like floozy who loves to date even though she does love to date right, right. so there's right. like what's wrong with that why do you need to ex- like excuse this behavior right. as something that she wasn't um whatever so but that's how the book begins and then she's like well so the drama of the book is that Sharon and Richard decide to get married and then they decide to move into the Schaefer's house but nobody tells Marianne and then Don lets it slip, and then Marianne kind of loses her shit. And they, Don and Marianne fight a lot in this book. Like they fight over, um, they're excited, but then they're like mad. Marianne's mad that they're going to move into the Schaefer's house. And then Don's like, we could share a room for some reason, even though they don't need to, which is also like, let's put that aside for a moment. That seems insane to me. Um, mm-hmm. We'll come back to that. Yeah. And then they like don't really resolve things even at the very so this book is like dot 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 to be continued but even at the wedding there's like some tension and Marianne's mad about Don making comments about there not being enough vegetarian food and like she's still kind of shitting on Sharon like she overhears Sharon say something about a dirty litter box and she's like uh like enraged um and then at the end uh there's this other thing other parenthetical which I was like what is this so they're talking about – she's describing the wedding. Um, they walk up the aisle together, and then there's this parentheses. Sharon didn't want her father to, quote, give her away. She didn't like the idea of being given away in the first place as if she were something someone owned. And also she and dad wanted to keep the service as simple as possible. And I was like, it's I can't tell because she seems to be like – hating Sharon so much in this book and like that parenthetical reads a little weird to me like the need to explain mm-hmm. her behavior because it's unorthodox and like you want to account for it but like what is that motivated by you know I don't know I think there's a lot of like well harsh judgment of Sharon yeah in this book. that's interesting I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with the overall that there's some judgment of Sharon because Marianne is feeling really defensive and worried about Tigger and worried about the move and everything else that to me slides right into the discussions we were talking about, about like the wedding industrial complex and heteronormativity socialization around weddings that we talked about in Christie's big day, which is like reamplified here. Like the second Don and Marianne find out that Sharon and Richard are getting married. They like go on this two like two person monologue for like, two and a half pages about all of the wedding tropes that they're expecting them to do. Yeah. Sharon and Richard can't even speak because they're like talking about what tux he's going to rent and where Sharon's going to get her bridal gown and all this stuff for a second. Where where I think particularly in 1980, are we still in 89 or are we on to 90 yet? 
I think particularly in the late 80s, early 90s for a second marriage. It, oh, we're in 1990. Very exciting. Um, for, in a second marriage, it was very common to not do all of those things, right? Um, right. So I think they're in that. And so since they've got that script so internalized of the like wasp wedding <laughs> and what it's supposed to quote unquote look like, I, I'm not surprised that she would explain any deviation from that script. Given yeah, that but even I think though they're doing this really small wedding. She's still looking for something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue and all of those other kinds of things. But I think Sharon kind of disproportionately carries like the burden of blame for that. And the girls aren't like learning anything about feminism in, in like this bucking of tradition. Right. And so like, and they're kind mm-hmm. and Marianne's kind of like anger with her. I think, just serves to sort of double down on some of that stuff. It doesn't really challenge it very, very much, if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was kind of interesting. Like mm-hmm. even even when they're at at the dinner, like at the table, and this isn't about um, wedding or uh, something specific to the wedding or about social norms or conventions or about femininity or anything, but um, on 145, they're at the restaurant and they're waiting for the food to arrive. And then when it did, Marianne says, I watched dad offer Sharon a bite of his veal roast, but she turned it down and he looked hurt. I was like, of course she turned it down. She's a fucking vegetarian. Like, are are you kidding me? Like, what? <laughs> like everything is Sharon's yeah. fault. If I, I thought that was really striking in this book. Yeah. And like the house is messy and she doesn't want to live there, which like I get it, but I don't know. It seems to be like, I, I feel like Sharon carries the kind of burden of responsibility for all the things that are wrong in the in the book in a way that surprised me. I don't think I like I don't think I would have I don't think I noticed that at all as a kid. I was actually just looking at you're talking about how how messy Sharon is and like I was like <laughs> looking at my desk <laughs> and like what a mess it is and how I didn't even realize it was messy until I started talking about Sharon. There's yeah, like, well, Marianne would think that you're going to be a like bad a, stepmom if she saw your desk. So <laughs> I know. No, it's like I have like a okay. So this my mic condom is attached to like mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. A, a CD crate <laughs> that's on my desk. Um, I have a for some reason a, a Tupperware of rice, some vitamins, <laughs> uh. Uh, some a mug with some coffee in it uh some girl scout cookies a, a bag of pretzels some face products a water bottle uh a makeup pouch it's uh, uh yeah it's emily just had to take a deep breath <laughs> what where's your high heel <laughs> yeah <laughs> singular <laughs> Uh, yeah i don't know and do do you think sharon takes more of the blame what do you where do you stand on emily's assertion of like marianne's like assessment of sharon Mm -hmm. um i mean this is a marianne book i feel like marianne's just feeling kind of uh defensive and protective over over her life and how it's been Mm -hmm. um it's also I mean, she is, and we have we have to remember that Marianne's mom died when she was very little, so I'm sure there's some feelings of that, like her dad replacing her mom. Don't you think so? Even though yeah. she's been out of the picture. But mm-hmm. I think that kind of makes her judgment of Sharon a little bit, like I think that's an important part of the context and kind of what it tells us about what what mm-hmm. we're learning about, like, what motherhood looks like in these books, right? That like, she doesn't have a memory of a mother like with which to compare Sharon, but she is like deploying really different metrics for evaluating her kind of fitness for that role than like Dawn does, for example. I mean, like Dawn, Sharon drives Mm -hmm. Dawn crazy with how messy she is, but Dawn really values like other dynamics of their relationship. And like Dawn talks about Sharon as like an actively good mom and all the ways that Marianne is kind of assessing how her life is going to be different living with Sharon kind of lend it the valence of, of, of critique, right? That like she is skeptical about Sharon's like capacity to like be a good stepmom or, or whatever, or to like make Marianne's life not worse than it is, let alone better. And so like, 
I don't know. I think I think I just think it, that make kind of the fact that she doesn't have a mom to compare it to makes it interesting because it sort of makes her criticisms of Sharon like meaningful along the lines of motherhood to an extent. And like like I think there's a really latent kind of critique that Marianne's making here, which is that like messy woman equals bad mom. <laughs> Like a little bit. It's not the the right. whole of it, but I think it's mm-hmm. a little bit here. And I I was kind of surprised to find that here. And I know I know that it, it's a lot to do well, with I like th- Marianne's defensiveness and like worry about about change. But I think um, that's a kind of interesting like theme theme for which her worry to kind of develop through. Yeah, I think it's you know you can also compare it in the other direction, right? So most depictions of blended families and step families in literature, I think have a lot more sort of kicking and screaming. So she does definitely say some positive things. I was just trying to find where she, you know, she makes some kind of compromise with Dawn. I'm sorry, I can't find the spot and says something like, well, but I'll have a sister that I've always wanted and a mother. And I'll definitely, I'll take that trade basically. Like, this is still a better deal, even if I have to be uncomfortable, even if I have to get used to the Schaefer's house. Like, so, you know, I think by and large, she's still more excited about it than, I mean, obviously she and Don are best friends. And so that part of it's exciting, but she feels more open to it than I would think she would be given, given this small, predictable routine life that she's had. Yeah. I guess I just think like regardless of whether or not she's putting up like to me what's more interesting and sort of revealing for like what we're learning about you know these broader sort of themes is not that she protests but kind of under what um on what grounds she protests kind of even if we know that's not like the at the root of it kind of like what gets what else gets smuggled in there and kind of like what gets attached to her her own anxieties mm-hmm. about her life changing. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's like, uh, like the, the, the unconscious kind of coupling of those things is like reads a little bit more sinisterly than, than um, now than I think it would have mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. How do you feel about like Marianne came from kind of a more unconventional family of being just, a single child or only child and her dad. And now she's like being, now she's like more in a traditional like family unit with like, you know, even though it's, it's a stepmother Mm -hmm. and a, you know, stepsister, it's still like mom, dad, sibling. And like to, Mm -hmm. I feel like the book kind of makes it out like, Oh, now I have like a family. Whereas before, Mm -hmm. you know, she felt like something was missing. Yeah. I think that's, again reinforcing the idea of this traditional heteronormative family unit yeah for sure right which is a bummer because as much as the the original mr spear pisses us off particularly emily with his uh reagan era male values um we have seen her give him a lot of credit as well um for for being her mom and her dad and for doing his best and um, especially I would say over the last 10 books, like we, we've got a softer Mr. Spear that, um, she recognizes is, is trying, trying, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels a little bit sad to be like, now we'll really be a family. It's like, oh, hang on. Yeah. Yeah. You were a family. Yeah. Give yourself some credit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, which is, I think less abstract, uh, that, it was related to the wedding stuff. Um, it, on the the very end of the book, Sharon's doing the bouquet toss and she makes all the girls do it. She says, all unmarried women or girls gather in that corner of the room. The next one who catches the bouquet will be the next bride. And then she like mm-hmm. throws it to her, her 13-year-old daughter and her 13-year-old stepdaughter. Like, what the fuck? Why? I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, but can we talk about how Emily has been to like 3,000 weddings? (laughs) Yeah, you've been to more weddings than anybody else we know. Uh, I mean, how many of your, you know, given that you're 10 years younger than us, how many of your friends threw the bouquet? Zero. Zero? 
I've I've never been uh, yeah I've never been to a, a peer's wedding. Yeah, never, not once. Wow, that's mm-hmm. a big shift. That's a big gap between X and millennial. Really, I would say that the vast majority of weddings I've been to, they've thrown the bouquet. And you? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I did at my wedding, just because my wedding was pretty small. Well, you also got and, married at millennial times. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think a lot of my friends were already married or in relationships. So, you know, it might have been like one or two <laughs> single friends, mm-hmm. which which would seem kind of cruel to make them line up right. and catch right. okay. You, you two, fight it out. <laughs> yeah. That's so weird. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I think so funny. even... I, no, I was going to say, even at the more traditional weddings I've been to, no no one's done that. Fascinating. See, mm-hmm. I always, like, obviously, it's problematic in all kinds of ways, right? It's, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with your premise. Um, it's this weird magical thinking and that the thing that everybody wants most is to be the next bride. Like, I, like, yes, you're right. And I think, you know, for us, like, I wanted to do it. And granted, I got married a long time ago now. Um, but I wanted to do it because I like a a fun activity. You know what I mean? Like I, like that was it. Like, and every wedding I'd ever been to had done it. Um, and it was just part like similar to Don and Marianne's expectations of the kind of wedding Sharon and Richard were going to have. It was just part of the wedding script. And I like ritual and I like scripts. Um, and I like throwing things, you know, like, so (laughs) I think that it, it, you know, it doesn't have to, um, it doesn't have to care. You know, you can do it with kind of a wink, right? You can do it with like, this is silly, but I, but I, mm-hmm. but I wasn't like, Hey, you 10 year olds come here right now. Um, you know, as me who being, wants to be as married. As me being an Esme apologist right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's, I think it's, I, I just think that's really, that's a really interesting thing that you're saying. It's like zero. Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't oh, yeah. expect in the span of 10 years for it to just disappear completely. You know, like we have, we run in relatively similar social circles, right? Like coastal college educated people. Like, and so that's interesting to me that it went from, you know, the va- I really think the vast majority, like I, I think I've been to very few weddings where they didn't mm-hmm. um, to zero for you. So I officiated Lizzie, my one of my best friends, Lizzie and Dave's wedding and when we were doing the rehearsal, the person who was the coordinator at the site was like, okay, so, you know, Lizzie's dad's going to walk her up. And then, I don't know, Emily, do you have a plan to say, like, who gives away this woman? And we all started, like, cr- everyone started cracking up. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not in my ceremony. And she was like, okay. And, like, walked away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't do that, right? Yeah, um, no, I know. But, um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. Like, just that little girls are like, I want to be the next one to get married. It's like, oh, come on. Go to high school Mm -hmm. first. (laughs) (laughs) You're also just catching pretty flowers. I don't know. You're uh, you're caught up in the excitement of the moment. I think I think you're undercutting like like straight line emoji face. Well, no, but I think like I take your point that you can do things without subscribing to the traditional meanings that get attached to them but also there's that subtext doesn't just magically disappear or like the history of that doesn't go away just because you're like I don't believe that and so like I mean I think that's one of the things about marriage in general and why it's kind of an interesting like um I don't know space for feminist debate or like terrain of feminist debate right like can you like what does it mean to get married like in a feminist way and kind of what does that say about the kind of feminism that you believe in right like if historically it's an institution whereby like men sell their daughters to other men as property then like what is it what does it mean that like we do it in different ways and we attach different meanings to it but like in essence, the like structure of the institution has remained, right? Like married couples still receive social and like, you know, financial benefits that single people don't. And so there's like, even though that the like dynamic of the the particular economic exchange of like the woman is different or gone away largely in like Western liberal democracies, like there's still um, like social value placed on being a couple and particularly like 
a, a heteronormative one, like a, that even extends to same sex couples, right? In a way, like people expect same sex cu- same sex couples to perform like heteronormativity, and so like mm-hmm. the, I don't know. I, I think it's in, mm-hmm. like for that reason, like traditions are interesting because you can't always fully s- separate them or isolate them out from their origins or from their histories, and so. Um, I think like we see that Absolutely. in in little kind of like silly ways in this book and like mm-hmm. which partly accounts for the parentheticals but I think makes them interesting like their presence as parentheticals is interesting and like what it tells mm-hmm. us about what the girls are kind of expecting for themselves is interesting. Mhm. That's all. Yeah. I also thought it was really interesting that Dawn was as much all in on all of the wedding accoutrement, <laughs> you know, so to speak as Marianne. Like that was a, they were, you know, doubling up on Richard and Sharon at that birthday dinner equally for all of the, the fancy trappings of the big wedding, which I think given what an individual Don is, we wouldn't necessarily assume, but that just shows the level of the indoctrination of mm-hmm. these tropes and these expectations around yeah. weddings. Which, if anything, I feel like have only gotten much worse, even though there's uh, like the the expectation in terms of it being the perfect day and spending tons and tons of money. Like maybe parts of the traditions have loosened, like we talk about this gap with the bouquets versus not. But the idea that it's this super meaningful day and you need to like have this, you know, amazing experience. Well, and it needs to look really perfect on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I fun feel times. like I'm, I'm being a drag today. Somebody else say something more fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I'll start my, I just have like a few little psychology notes, mostly developmental stuff, not clinical stuff today. What'd you guys think of Marianne's game of school? She made a game. I forgot. I, don't know. I forget what it is. On it. I'm okay. gonna, I think I skipped over it. Maybe. <laughs> okay remind us she made a game herself she made a board game which is something Anne and I used to do Um, and it's called Marianne's game of school and the object of the board game is to get from September to June and like if you do certain things you get straight A's and if you do other things you have to go back some spaces and stay after school and she was like really proud of it it seemed to me such a like lovely introverted only child thing to do like I could just see Marianne by herself spending hours creating this game and she like hand lettered all the cards and then she's so excited to show it to Marilyn and Carolyn and it just broke my heart a little bit like I could see a young Anna Martin doing the same thing she you know she probably did um and I I just thought it was a really um cute little detail um I like when we see the little ways in which Marianne is creative and um, is not just sort of attending to other people's needs. Like she made this little thing and she's excited to show it off. But apparently it was not memorable because you both skipped right over it. Uh, yeah. I mean. Uh, was this in the scene where Marilyn and Carolyn first start fighting and Marianne's trying to figure out what's up with them? Like they don't finish the game, mm-hmm. right? They're like, they like storm off and they have a fight about who gets to go to the room. I think so. Mm. Yeah, I think that's why maybe that didn't jump out at me as much because I was thinking I was paying less attention to the activity that they're doing and more to the the fight that kind of arbitrarily erupts from nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Which, as you pointed out in your one sentence summary, is a very obvious uh, (laughs) analog to Don and Marianne's fights over territory. (laughs) Yeah. And Marianne's just like, huh. Are they closer because they have their own space? I'll have to remember that or something, but never like makes yeah, the, never, the link. Yeah, never makes the um, link. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would like the game of school. Yeah. I would not like it. It's like... But, but, I hate I I hate the game of school. <laughs> Do you hate the game of life, Anne? <laughs> yeah, they start fighting over it immediately and they, they can't really play it. Well, anyway, I thought that was cute. And I thought it was a nice little encapsulation of this introverted only child, Marianne, who I think, you know, is is going to obviously is going to have a hard time with this transition. But it's funny to me, as we've seen Marianne stick up for herself more and more across the series, it's funny to me that she would agree with Dawn's idea of sharing a room. 
because I was, I was thinking a lot about you, Anne, actually. And like, if you suddenly had a step sibling, um, what you would think about sharing a room with that person. Oh my God. <laughs> I just, I mean, like, no, thanks anyway. Like, even if it was like sharing with my best, like, even if it was my best friend, like you as me, I would not <laughs> I was like, want to share a room with you. I know you wouldn't. But who wants to share a room when they're 13? I mean, I probably would have. It would have sounded fun as a kid who was by myself at home and who was not introverted. I know that, you you know, mm. Emily actually had a close in age sibling, so she didn't want to. And I know my nearly 13 year old didn't want didn't want to, but doesn't want to. Yeah. But it would have mm-hmm. sounded good to me because mm-hmm. um, I was lonely. But I don't think, you know, as typified by the, making the game of school, I don't think Marianne is that that lonely a lot of the time. I think she knows how no. to spend alone time, just like you. Yeah. Uh, she also has the babysitter's club. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also really liked her note to Christy that she like slipped into Christy's pocket when she wasn't looking. To just I know, but her. why did she slip it in her pocket when she wasn't looking? Just like hand it to her on the way out or something like yeah. <laughs> Also, I love that she's like, she not she gave me a glance the next day at school so i know she got it but they never speak of it like <laughs> well i that makes sense to me because i think it it's um you know christy's got bravado she's tough like she doesn't want to show how like vulnerable this makes her and how envious she would be how jealous she would be of her and Don becoming sisters and moving in together. And so I think it's actually kind of Marianne to not make a deal of it for Christy and just like reassure her off to the side. But then she doesn't have to like, Christy doesn't have to save face by being like, no, of course I'm fine. I know that it's no big Mm -hmm. problem. Uh, And can you, Oh no, you can't find a page. Can you, can you read the, the note, Emily? It's on page 83. Fine. Dear Christy, as you and I grow up, we'll have lots of friends. And lots of things will change. But one thing can never change. You were my very first best friend. I love you, Marianne. Okay, first, I don't think that's a great note. I know. (laughs) It's like, we were once friends, and that's going to (laughs) change. But you were there first. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) That's not how I read it at all. (laughs) Okay, Anne, what would you have written to Christy? Well, I wouldn't have written a note, but I mean, At the way 13, she says it, it's like, you're, you're, you're going no, no. to woman up and have a converse, big conversation. No, I do neither. Oh, <laughs> I would not write a note and I would not have a conversation. I'd be skiing somewhere like Claudia. Okay. <laughs> if you were Marianne, <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on. I'd be skiing. <laughs> <laughs> That All destroyed right. me. <laughs> <laughs> Emily had to mute herself. She laughed so loud. At me. No, but I mean, okay, essentially that, okay, that note read to me like someone saying goodbye to their favorite childhood teddy bear. Oh. I had I, I had my time with you, but now now I've moved on. I'm putting you in a closet now, so I, I never have to see you again. No. No, I don't think it was like that at all. It was like, no one can replace you. You're, you're irreplaceable. No one else can ever be my first best friend. Well, then that, that's what the note should have said. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You were my first Marianne. best friend and no one will ever replace you. How hard is that? Come on. <laughs> all right. But the idea of the note was sweet. And it sounds like it helped Christy. Anyway, my last thing, and then I have some questions for the two of you, is poor freaking jeff i mean Anne even forgot about him a couple minutes ago she's like now we'll be a family stepsisters and stepmom um i you know he don't know this dude who's jeff he doesn't know this dude he flies in for the wedding and he keeps calling richard sir and do you think that's why they wrote him out of the show (laughs) because it would be too sad maybe yeah quite quite (sighs) maybe um i feel so bad for jeff um, I think this is going to be a lot harder for him because he has to like come in and then they, they will be turning into more of a family with the four of them. And then he's mm-hmm. like this add on. He's, he knows Marianne obviously, but he's really not going to know Richard. Cause why would he know Richard before he left? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, whole thing is yikes for Jeff. Yeah. 
super yikes for Jeff. So I just thought that that was thoughtful that Anna Martin included that and made it clear. Um, and you see a little bit of the like Richard making a face at Sharon, like, what do I do about this? Um, but it's, you know, it's going to take a while. He's not going to be like, yay. Now I have an additional dad. It's, it's really different. So the other thing that I freaked out about and texted you all about is that Sharon's this birthday surprise dinner um, for Sharon at which they announce their engagement. She's turning 43, which is what Anne and I are turning this year. And that was just really disturbing because Sharon Schaefer will always be an old woman as far as I'm concerned compared to, to whatever stage I am in life. How did that hit you, Anne? It made me feel very old. Uh, but you have two children mm-hmm. who are similar in age to Don and Jeff. That's true. I do. Mm-hmm. It's true. It doesn't make me feel less old. <laughs> I think it's cool that she's that age because it's then it's like she didn't have kids at 20. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. Is Sharon a manic pixie dream girl or is she just Oscar Madison from The Odd Couple? Well, I think one thing that does not put her squarely in manic pixie dream girl territory is that she's not like a prop through which like Richard actualizes himself. So like in that sense, the dynamic between them doesn't constitute her as that in that role, but it is her. It is interesting to, to think about like, you know, for the kids, we have like good girls and bad girls. And like, clearly we have, we've been talking about good moms and bad moms. And she's kind of like, especially in this book, I think really straddling the good mom, bad mom line from the perspective of Marianne and kind of like who, what kind of woman is she supposed to be is really, I think interesting too. And kind of there's, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really sure like where we're supposed to land on that. Right. She's like, not, she's not, she's a little slutty, but not too slutty. It's uh, her work friends put her up to it, you know. Mm-hmm. She's she's not like a <laughs> uh, like nympho who would have been, uh, you know, relegated to the asylum in the seventies. <laughs> With all the escaped murderers <laughs> and all the black people yeah. protesting yeah, civil I mean, rights, <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. No, she. Yeah, she was. You're right. She is her own person. We definitely see her separate from Richard. So she's not simply a prop to like get him to self-actualize. Um, but it's I guess it's a little bit of a Dharma and Greg thing going on, though, right? Like she's the free spirit and and he's buttoned down this, this opposites attract situation. Yeah. But I but I think we're going to see more odd couple stuff going into their life together once they move into the same mm. space. Cause I think that's going to be a challenge. I like that you referenced Dharma and Greg. <laughs> I was just about to say, I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, yeah, that's, uh, that seems what it's like though. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen Dharma and Greg since it was on, but okay. Yeah. So I'm just interested to see that where that will go. Um, and then, what kind of business associates does, does Sharon have? Do we still e- do we even know what her job is? She's supposed to have this dinner with Mr. So-and-so. I can't remember his name. That is the surprise birthday dinner. It's just general business associates. Yeah, I don't know. And these are also the people at work who keep making her be slutty. So it's like... <laughs> All right. And you, you helped us figure out Watson's job. What do you think Sharon's job is? Okay, so she isn't organized in her personal life. Mm -hmm. Can she be organized in her work life? And I think the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Because I am the same way, even though it's a Mm -hmm. struggle. I feel like she has she has a desk job, Mm -hmm. right? But doing she wears high heels. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe she works in real estate, maybe she works uh, in HR. I'm giving her real, like, run-of-the-mill, like, like mom mm-hmm. in movie occupation roles. Um, mm-hmm. Well, real we estate would we, make more sense to me for her to have, like, a dinner, a business dinner. Like, if you're working mm-hmm. HR, like, aren't you not allowed to have business dinners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she's she not be, a like, realtor. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, she could be. I feel like we would know that if she was a realtor, though. 
That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. if she was a realtor, she would have helped Stacy's mom buy a house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those times where I don't realize that there are. I don't know a lot of jobs besides like doctor, lawyer, teacher, writer. Oh, which we I all cover. Jobs. As me as a doctor, Emily yeah. is a teacher, and I'm a writer. <laughs> like, what else is there? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, there's only our three jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know jobs either. Okay. And all the rich yeah. dads are lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, yeah. Yeah. Corporate lawyers specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Okay, everyone, okay. everyone just name and name another job. Can we do it? I'm gonna say uh fireman, fire person. Is that the correct yeah. term now? <laughs> yeah. Firefighter. Fighter. Firefighter. Yeah, postal worker. Like Richard's dad. It, yeah. Uh, or mail carrier. Ad sales. Ad sales. Good, Emily. There we go. <laughs> oh, see? We're okay. <laughs> she works really in bad. local news. <laughs> <laughs> what? All right. And and what do you got? <laughs> I don't have a whole lot, but I think one thing that was interesting is that Don's mom got sent to California for college. Mm-hmm. So what college do we think she went to? Us being three California. Well, they're super like fancy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't think Sharon was uh, like buckled down enough to go to Stanford. I don't think. You don't um, think? No. It sounds like. But you don't think they were yeah. rich enough to get her in anyway? What It would have been like oh, yeah. what when she would have gone. It would have been. Oh, that's true. Yeah. In like the late stayed. 60s. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, if they're legacy. But they wouldn't they're not legacy though, because they're East Coast old money. They just wanted her to go to California to get away from Richard. That's true. So. And was it as hard to get into the UCs from out of state back then? Probably not. Um, well, yes and no, because it was definitely more made for the state, but they just weren't as selective anyway. I mean, she definitely could have gone to a UC. She could have gone to Berkeley. Whoa. That seems um reason that seems like a fit for Sharon. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm thinking private. Not yeah, I was thinking maybe one of the Pomona colleges. Po- yeah, Pomona mm. or like Occidental. Mm. Uh, My dad went there. Is, so yeah. did Barack Obama. Yeah, <laughs> there's a part of the freeway yeah. near Occidental that is called Barack Obama Highway. Oh, a very short stretch. There you go. <laughs> All right, so we think she went to Oxy. Is that our? <laughs> that's, that's what we're saying for Sharon. I mean, it's what year would she have gone to LA? Oh, but well, us. She's we went to college. Nineteen ninety. It's when we went to college, as me, right? Oh no, it's what? not because I just, I just had a total. No. <laughs> wow. Thirty yeah. years earlier. No, no, this book I came out in twenty twenty one. Actually, it came out in twenty twenty. Excuse me. <laughs> wow, I just put us in the same time timeline yeah. as as the books. So yeah. it would have been. <laughs> So she would have graduated in like the like 1968 or 70 around there. Okay. Maybe yeah. she went to UCLA. I feel like maybe her conservative parents would have been happier to send her there than to Berkeley. That's true. Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't have or, been or USC. Or like, ooh, maybe. USC. That's a good yeah. option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it would, Southern California would make sense. Yeah. Right. Because that's, that's where right. she met. That's yeah. where they lived. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We figured it out. I think USC is the right one. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. We figured it out. Okay. So I would just like to point out that our notes for this episode on Anne's Corner just say <laughs> chickpeas and gum chains. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Tell us more. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I wrote down uh, a list of all the health food Don Don ate. So, mm-hmm. got tofu casserole, vegetable casserole, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> bean sprout and chickpea salad. Um, but was it okay? Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about casseroles. Did you guys eat casseroles again? <laughs> no. Yes. Okay. So Asian people don't really eat casseroles. Blanket statement, but it's pretty true. 
I was going to say anything about Anne's childhood applies to all Asian people. Okay, but what? Okay, a casserole is just a bunch of stuff in like a pan and cooked in the oven. Mm -hmm. Correct. Correct. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I just don't think people who eat health food make that many casseroles. Like, I don't. Mm -hmm. They eat, they probably eat more like vegetable stir fry or, you know, tofu stir fry. Mm -hmm. Like, a casserole is a very, I feel, uh, Americana dish that Anna Martin has just made vegetarian for the sake of the book. Anyway, but the point is yeah. bean sprout and bean sprout and chickpea salad. We both lived, we all lived grew up in California and lived in New York. What do we call do you call them garbanzo beans or chickpeas? Garbanzo beans. Garbanzo beans. Mm-hmm. I am a hundred percent sure that when I read this as a kid, I didn't know that she was talking about garbanzo beans. I just didn't know Agreed. what a chickpea was. And I didn't know what a chickpea was that people on the East Coast called them chickpeas until I moved to New York when I was 23 years old. Same. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the reason we call or Californians call them garbanzo beans um, and East Coasters call them chickpeas is that <clears throat> chickpeas, like it, it came from a Latin word. So, but garbanzo is actually the term Spanish people use. So, I think that's why Mm -hmm. there's a difference there. Um, And also California and in particular Sacramento is is like a big grower of garbanzo beans. Um, We farm a lot of garbanzo beans. So we're right. We're right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) But it just made me think about other things we say differently from the East Coast. Like chickpeas Mm -hmm. was a thing when I moved to New York was like, like at the salad bar, I remember I said garbanzo beans. And they were like, what? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, those things. They're like, oh, the chickpeas. Those. And I was like, like, what the fuck? Chickpeas? Yeah. Like, that doesn't even sound like a real food. Yeah. Chickpeas? Yeah. Another, <laughs> another, thing, that, another thing that blew my mind was um, Edie's ice cream versus oh. dryers. Yeah. I was like, what the hell mm, is this? Yeah. Like it's the same yeah. brand. Well, it's but... it, well, it's like Best Foods and Hellman's, which mm-hmm. really blew people's minds when I said when I heard the theme song is the same. It doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense on the East Coast. It's bring out the Hellman's and bring out the best. Like what? No, it's Best Foods. That's why it's the best. Anyway, yeah. Is this why our country is so divided? Regionalism is confusing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Yeah, because of capitalism. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. What do you want to tell us about gum chains, Anne? Oh, just like, I was wondering if Emily knows what those are. No. Okay. Really? No. You don't know what I do gum not. chains are? Okay. Uh-uh. Well, okay, let's, let's play this fun game. What do you... I, as- <laughs> I assume like a chain of gum. <laughs> so it's, you take the, you take the wrapper of the gum and you fold them in a certain way ah. so you connect all the wrappers together and it makes like a little like a uh, chain that you can like wear a jewelry or you know, a garland perhaps or decorate like, your locker. Like you do with the dandelion flowers? Yeah, kind of. You just, there's huh. like they're interlocking yes. things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah uh, I've never, never seen one. Never heard of it. I'm sending you a picture of the world record hold, holder for longest gum wrapper chain. He's a oh seven year old retired teacher. Let me see. Whoa. It's really long. Yeah. Wow. His name's Gary. What the wow. fuck? He started making it in 1965. Why? Back in the 60s, the trend of making gum wrapper chains was quite popular. Why Why anything <laughs> in the as a world record? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. It's- <laughs> oh my God. It's 106,000 feet long. That's insane. Wow, That's this is just really, really last crazy. year, huh? Yeah. Well, when we choose all it's that over gum, 20 he miles. Just the That's crazy. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. I just read it That's in the bad. article. So what does he do with the yeah, gum? If I he just had, throws it away? I would have had, yeah, I would have had to chew a stick of gum every 10 minutes, day and night for the last 55 years in order to do that. So um, he's just throwing away <laughs> gum? I'm so confused. Wait, you guys, you could have made the biggest gumball 
in addition to whoa all the rappers gross yeah that's pretty foul (laughs) super foul (sighs) okay so i had a question for you Anne. that this is our first to be continued babysitters club book and i feel like to be continued was a really big 80s tv trend like all the sitcoms all the things had like to be continued um and it was like no we have to wait a week or several months and i i feel like that's not something that happens very often anymore and i just was wondering if you had any thoughts on that it it seemed like anna martin was was upping the drama by dropping off right isn't anything in a series to be continued (laughs) yeah but is this trying to be like her who shot jr moment oh i mean what would that what would like What's the big continue of this book, though? Like, what are we? What are we waiting for? Like, what are we waiting for to happen? We are waiting to see which thirteen-year-old girl is going to be the next bride. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> and also, like, what's going to happen? They're moving in. They're go- you know. But Wait, you're right. Do you get, it's not right. an actual hanger. Do either of you? Mm-hmm. Neither of you clearly watch any shows on the CW. Like currently, yeah, no, no. <laughs> like every single television show that's like a teen drama ends on a cliffhanger. Every single episode, <laughs> yeah. They like they're all TV they continued. end in the middle of action, yeah, and then they begin in the middle of the action, and then the middle forty minutes are nothing, and then there's action right at the end again. <laughs> it's like a killer, killer model for sucking you in. You do you like scroll the internet while you're watching the boring part and then at the very end you're like wait what the fuck and then you have to watch the next one it's just like wow genius to be continued fair enough yeah but i know what you mean in the 80s there was Um, always like a special special family ties or like or some mm -hmm. special like two-parter where you didn't know what was going to happen but it was it was very exciting at the time yeah we didn't have a lot of content to go to go off of that that's all we got right well, and I think it started because it, it we didn't used to have that because they didn't want to be a cliffhanger because people weren't streaming stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted to be able, like networks wanted flexibility and to be able to air shows in any order. So you didn't have mm-hmm. to watch them as they went. They weren't really serialized. And so if there were two in a row, you were really going to miss out if you didn't like make that appointment for right. the TV the next week. So it's very exciting. None of us have touched on Gazi Kunka. Gazi Kunka. Yeah. <laughs> How many fictional children is this now <laughs> in the, the Basters Club? There was John, the super brat, and there's Gazi Kunka. Did Betsy also have an imaginary friend? I... Or a liar friend? Maybe not. Oh, Maybe wait. it's just Gazi and John. I think she might have had something made up. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about how... how- Marianne, how Marianne could not figure out this was an imaginary friend. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty obvious to me, personally. Yeah. First, her name, th- this, this friend's name is Gazi Kuka. Who, like, what was it? Wasn't, like, the, the, the plane her parents were on were, like, was, like, hijacked or something? Yeah. A lot of things have happened to Gazi. Yeah. And she eats elf and she's, meat. she's foreign, but she's not from any specific country. Anyway, I was thinking Gazi. I feel like Gazi was inspired by Fozzie and Gonzo. Ah, mm. nice. Mm-hmm. But Kunka, I don't know. I don't know where Kunka came from. I have yeah. no idea what kind of quote unquote foreign name that could be. Gazi Kunka. But yeah, you think Marianne should have known? <laughs> yes. I mean, even in one of her journal entries, she's like, oh, I can't believe. Of course, it was an imaginary friend. By the way, there was a, there were there were some Logan Logan cameos. Oh, yeah. He came to the meeting. He couldn't handle it when the girls were screaming. They were so excited about the wedding. And he was like, I got to bounce. I can't be around all this estrogen. It's too much for me. I think that's exactly what he said. Can't be around the estrogen. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's all I really have. I mean, there was a Haley Mills movie marathon, which, you know, we're all familiar with Haley Mills from The Parent Trap and Pollyanna. Uh, What I thought was interesting was that, uh, the, the movie marathon was 10 hours, but they only made it like an hour into it. Like, yeah, 
What? They weren't long for that. They couldn't handle no. it too much. Not no. too much. They didn't binge. They didn't binge things back then. I guess yeah. Not. Um. Yeah. I do love Haley Mills. We watch Pollyanna and the Parent Trap a lot. A lot. A lot. What kind of candy did Claudia eat this time? Not much. Just there is a M and M's and some crackers for Dawn. Yeah, they're really they're not they don't have many BSC meetings in this one. No. Uh-uh. Disappointingly, no Twinkies, so we can't make Emily eat a Twinkie oh, right, right now. Yeah, we got I can't wait for the next one to show up. <laughs> you know what can wait? The Twinkie because it will never biodegrade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, so good. Okay, what about your tallies? That's um, well, as we know, Marianne is the most judgmental, so she doesn't disappoint in this book. Um, one bossy, one individual, one health food, one almond eyes, one baby, two sensitive, one shy, and one sophisticated. She hits them all except nothing about Mal or Jesse. <laughs> and very few people are calling um, Claudia exotic anymore. Exotic hasn't shown up since book 24. So um, almond eyes, as of today, has overtaken exotic as a director. Can I? You've never read through them that quickly before. And as just a, a run on sentence, that is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> it's true okay what about everyone's favorite lines my favorite is sleazy old whatever obviously um hold on this is on page <laughs> that one's pretty good don and uh don and marianne are having an argument um because marianne wants to get sharon a birthday present and don's shooting down her ideas and then Don's like, I don't know. I just know my mom better than you do. Mm-hmm. And Marianne's like, you're acting like I, oh, she's like, your ideas aren't. And then Marianne says, aren't what? And Don says, I don't know. We're so close. It it's, guess it's hard for me to understand when someone has the wrong idea about her. And then Marianne jumps off the bed and faces Don with her fists clenched and says, I don't have any wrong ideas about her. You make it sound like I think she's some sleazy old, I don't know. So sleazy old, I don't know is my favorite. <laughs> Like, where did that even come from, Marianne? Marianne made this, like, weird jump in her, like, thought process that Dawn was accusing Marianne of, like, slut-shaming her mom. That's because that's what Marianne really thinks. Yeah. (laughs) I did really like Marianne's gift for Sharon, though. It was very sweet. The class rings are so weird. That was still... Do people still get class rings when you were in high school? Emily, I would imagine at a school like yours that they were a big thing, actually, because there was lots of athletics and stuff. Letterman's jackets yeah. and class rings were both big. Um, yeah. And w- you would get yeah. rings like if your team won like a, a championship. So you would get like a class ring and you would have like a championship ring. Uh, I had one more favorite line. Um, it's on page 129. And in context, it's not that funny, but out of context, it's great. And it's just Christy saying tofu jiggles. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite line. That's pretty good. <laughs> It's it's tofu jiggles, you know. It's her being defensive because Don was was uh, saying that her Jello is too gross and jiggles. Don's yeah. like, no, tofu solid. I agree. I think tofu yeah. jiggles. Yeah, that's my favorite. I just like I just like that this is a period in time when tofu is like the only health food there is. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, those are those are great lines, guys. My one of my favorite lines was uh, Sharon when she said. That place is pure punk because like Don wanted to go into that store. <laughs> Zingies. <laughs> yeah. You guys want to do, do you feel more strongly about Tofu Jiggles or the one about where Don's mom is a slut? I mean, I think Tofu Jiggles is a little pithy. We talked about Sharon being slutty a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Tofu Jiggles, keep it clean. Great. Yeah. Let's keep it clean. Keep it clean. Tofu Jiggles. And it gross. Jiggle. <laughs> yeah. So what are we pizza toast to? Yeah. Why does it say sardines? <laughs> that is my um, proposal for pizza toast, which is the, the reverse hide and seek game of sardines that I learned from oh. this book and played a lot as a child and still play a lot with my kids and with whenever I'm with a group of kids, lots of kids don't know it and then they're very excited to learn it and it is very fun. I like it much better than traditional hide and seek. So I got really excited when it showed up. Because it's so near to the word pizza on the on the sheet i was like only thinking of it as a food item and i was very confused like, like anchovies <laughs> yeah i was like wait nobody did people don't put sardines on pizza do they all caps with hearts i, don't think I was so. so excited when they played it excellent 
<laughs> okay, I'm down with yeah. I, I like sardines. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Oh, okay. That was easy. Um, great. Pizza toast to sardines. Two sardines. Two sardines. The game, not, not the food. <laughs> the fish on pizza, specifically. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuckinstonybrook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.